0: Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and Enjoy. Well, hey, Vital Point Church, my name is David. I'm the Community Connection Pastor. I am a site leader of our one of our locations called Exeter in Exeter. And I also have the privilege of being on the teaching team. And if we've never met before, I just want to say welcome. I'm so grateful that you're here today. I've also been praying that God by His Spirit would really reveal Himself to us today. And when I say that, I've really been praying about maybe it's through um, the prayer time or maybe it's through our conversation or the creative arts or maybe even a moment where someone's sitting beside you you in a comfy chair or on a pew and it's just a word of encouragement and God would reveal himself to you this way. And when I say that, I'm also really excited that you are here today. We as a church desire to reach people who are exploring and growing and today's a great day to gather with one another. We're in a series right now where we are looking at and viewing the word success in ways. We've been looking at this idea of success through asking a question, how do we win at life or how to win at life? But let me be very clear here. We're not looking at this question through the worldview. We're actually looking at it through God's perspective. Now, Amy, one of our teaching team members a few weeks ago, gave us the definition of winning, which literally means being successful or victorious. And what ends up happening when we hear Hear that definition of winning at life. We take that and we take it in a worldview and imp- and apply it to our lives. And we take it and we live that out, whether that's through our jobs, uh, maybe flashing the credit card every once in a while or posting the right things on social media. That's how we show ourselves of winning at life to people around us. And this is what we do. And and through the series, we're saying no to that view and looking at it through God's perspective of being marked by the fruit of the spirit, which comes through a book in the New Testament in our Bible called Galatians chapter Chapter five actually records what it means to be marked by the fruit of the Spirit, which says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And in this section of Galatians, it describes these character traits that you and I, that God desires us to develop in who we are and in our beings. And as we walk this way of Jesus with these character traits, they are the evidence that you and I are winning at life as they develop in our walk with Jesus. Now today, I want to look at faithfulness and start off with a question that I really believe is going to spark some good conversation today for you and I, maybe in your heart and in your mind, maybe in a connect group in the midweek, but maybe around a kitchen table with your kids. If you've got kids, maybe ask them this question. I actually dare you to ask you this question. And the question is, why does there seem to be very little faithfulness in our world today? That's the question. And see, I ask this question because there seems to be something opposite of faithfulness happening in us, around us, and in our world. Because we seem to cancel, to cut, to drop, to push aside, to run away from things that don't serve us anymore. Many get married in our day and age, and we get a few years in, and we say, well, you know what, you're not... You're not making me happy, or you're not serving my needs, or it's not going the way I desired this marriage to go, so you cut ties from that person, and often both sides of the party are saying, you know what, yeah, let's just start over and and just say bye to one another, or you get into a job, and the boss or a coworker kind of rubs you the wrong way, and you begin to nitpick and really dissect every area, and it's not serving my needs, and it becomes the me, myself, and I, and you just quit because it's not serving you anymore. And what I find interesting with this way of living is something uh, that is happening in our world that I feel like is off. It's very interesting how off it is because you and I, we, our world, desire people uh, to serve us, to be faithful to us. But on the other end, in return, we don't have to be faithful to them. We get to choose when to cancel, to drop and push away. We can just run and go. But when we, when they run and go in our life, when they're, when they're not faithful to us, we can get angry. We can hold a grudge. We can get, we can seek revenge. And this seems off to me because this mentality of living is just such a lie and is falling into a, a trap and is just so hurtful when we start living in this way. So here we are today where I want to talk about why are we told to be faithful, but there seems to be very little faithful, uh, very faithful very little in our world to be faithful in. See, maybe, just maybe, you and I, many of us, are actually putting our faith in the wrong things in this world. I would actually say, I believe we are putting our faith in the wrong things. I can remember in my life, a few years ago, I was working in the electrical job for an electrical company. I was three years into my apprenticeship. It was going amazing. I had built so much trust with the boss, and there was just such great things happening, and I got put on great job sites. I had even, even a company truck. Not many apprentices actually get company trucks. Little do you know that, it, Like if you don't know that, it was so cool to have have that trust in a boss and in a company. And we actually hired this one guy on. He was a journeyman and he became my journeyman because I was an apprentice. But my boss said to me, Hey, like, I need you to help him understand the culture, how we trust each other, how we do things. And in the first two, three months, it was amazing. It was so great. He was teachable, fun, easy to work with. It was going so great. But all of the sudden, after a few months, things kind of changed. The job site got a little odd with him and he started not showing up. And I was just like, I had to focus on myself. I couldn't be a babysitter to him. And all of a sudden, one day our boss showed up and he said, where is he? I said, oh, he's just out grabbing lunch. Don't worry about him. He'll be back soon. I quickly ran outside and I called him and said, hey, dude, you need to get your butt to the job site. And he did. And he said, thank you so much. He put his faith in me and I I stepped up to the plate and I, I, I covered for him. A few short weeks later or a month or so later, the tables were turned and I needed him. I started not showing up to the job site for some particular reason. And I wasn't following Jesus at the time, but I was seeking my interests, my own needs. And and I didn't show up. And our boss showed up to the same job site. And he said, where's David? And in a time where I needed him to step up to the plate for me, He did the opposite. He threw me under the bus. He started backhanding and talking to me. it, It was just like, I could not believe. And I got a tongue lashing and I'm surprised I didn't lose my job. But this moment where I put my faith in this guy and it didn't turn out great, it affected the way I put my faith in others and how I built my relationships in that time in my life. See, maybe you have a story like this as well. Maybe you have put your faith into a mentor one time in your life and it it led to something being super unhealthy. Or maybe you were told to put your money in stocks and the stock market, it crashed and there was no, it just, it was broken and gone. Maybe you put your faith in a faith leader one time in your life and they fell short and it was gone. We could all probably stand on a stage or in front of a microphone and have a story where we put our faith in someone, something, and it fell short. So if we're told to be marked by faithfulness and the fruit of the spirit, and then we see very little faithfulness in in our world around us, where does faith truly come from? That's the question I was asking this week. And how do we develop faithfulness in a world, people or places when there seems to be a lot of things that let us down in our life? See, the first thing we need to understand is that the nature of faith has never changed. Ever since God is and was, faith has been unchanged. It's been the same. Some would say that the New Testament in our Bible actually reveals how much faith is important to us. But I want to go to an Old Testament story because when you find out, when you read your Bible from back, from front to back, story, you'll see that faithfulness is a massive theme in the Bible. So I want to take us to a guy named Abraham found in Genesis and the New Testament book Romans written by a guy named Paul actually refers to Abraham in the Old Testament as the father of Faith. Let's look at this. In the Hebrew language, there's actually one word for faith and faithfulness. It's together. And the word is amunah, which means faith and faithfulness. So when I say faith or faithfulness, it is one. So when we're looking at Abraham's life, don't get tripped up on faith or faithfulness. It is one. It was the word that they were using, amunah. Some worldly teachings around faith actually suggest that faith is the matter of the mind and it's all about believing in something and never wavering, never doubting at all. See, here's the thing. If we believe faith is that and we believe it's not doubting and it's, it's, it, it's, it should actually come out in Abraham's life. That principle of never doubting should actually come out in Abraham's life. And if you know the story quite quickly, it's the opposite. You should be saying amen in your mind if you actually know the story of Abraham. It's the opposite. Abraham reveals to us the nature of faith and what truly it is. See, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, records God coming to Abraham, giving Abraham five promises, or you could say one promise reinforced four times. Now I know we all don't know the story or know the depths of it. So I want to go through it so we can see and understand where faith comes from and who we need to put our faith in. Promise number one comes from Genesis chapter 12, verse one to three, where God promises Abraham that he's going to be a father of a great nation and that his family will multiply and bless the world. And it will be just incredible. And this would come through him and his wife having a son, a child side note here quickly. They have no children. They had a hard time having children. Him and Sarah could not believe that God would even promise them a child because they had never had a child. But the catch was that this had to happen through them being obedient and putting their faith in God, in him, where they would actually follow him and leave their family behind. The catch was they had to leave their family, and when they left their family, they'd be leaving wealth, stability, and everything they knew. Their family thought they were crazy, but they did it. Abraham puts his faith in God and what happens is, unfortunately, we see and begin to learn that he puts his faith in God, but he wavers and as he leaves his family, he disobeys God's word, but he's still faithful. He still moves. He's still going forward, but eventually he would have obeyed God. Yes, there's ups and downs, but many of his actions show the reality of the inner doubt that many of us have and fear when we have a relationship with God. It's hard, but he puts his faith in him. That's the first promise. That he would be a father of great nations, and it reveals that he is up and down in fears and doubts. And then promise number two comes a few verses later, where Abraham comes to the the, uh, the land of Canaan. And when he arrived there, God says to him, "Hey, like, guess what? Your family that you're going to have is going to possess this land. It is yours. I prepared it for you." But Abraham being human, the next thing he does, he disobeys God. He notices that there's a famine. He's experiencing the famine and he goes down to Egypt because Egypt has everything that they need to live. So he sees the land and he says, you know what? I know the plan, God. I see it. It's right here, but I've got my own interests. I've got to live. And in those actions and his fears and his doubts and disobedience, he actually puts his wife, Sarah, in a situation that compromises their lives. Luckily, Abraham does obey God and returns to Canaan and there God in his mercy protects him. Promise number three comes the next chapter where it's a quick reinforcement that came after Abraham and Lot, who is a family member. They divine the land of Canaan. They divide it up. And God says, even though you divided it, it does not worry. It does not matter. And I'm not worried. It's still going to be your land and your families, Abraham. It's part of my plan. So far, these three stories actually give us an encouragement and reveal two things to us. A, it reveals to us he was a person, Abraham, just like us with ups and downs. Yet in the end, despite his mental and emotional seesawing back and forth, he remains faithful. It also shows you and I that you and I likewise have our ups and downs. But as long as we put our faith in God, hang in there, God counts us faithful. Promise number four comes a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 15. Now this is a funny moment in Abraham's life because it actually is a moment where he is arguing with God, the creator of the universe. And he actually questions God and he's denying God's faithfulness, not his faithfulness, God's faithfulness to him. And once again, doubts arise and fears show up in Abraham's heart and God literally speaks to him again and shows him that his faith is weak. And it records that Abraham believed in him, And as his act of obedience, he noticed his weakness and in his obedience, God credited him as righteous. But once again, not too long after, you know the story maybe, Abraham doubts God. And he even says, how can I really, really know, Lord, that this will all happen? The land, the family, the blessing, the growth. How do I actually see this happening? And in this moment, God graciously gives him a supernatural experience to reinforce the weakness of his faith. Again, not only this, but as we move into the next moments of that are recorded of Abraham, we discover Abraham's fear and doubt took him to a place once again, where he takes things into his own hands, where he knows the promise of God that there's going to be a family. But he says, you know what? I'm going to have a child with another woman who is Hagar, a slave in his family And he has a boy and he's hoping and he's praying probably that God would bless this boy. Like I know the plan, God, but hey, let's try this one first. 13 years later, God shows up and he reaffirms the original word that he gave Abraham where God gives Abraham and Sarah a child and they name him Isaac. And the name Isaac means laughter because both of them were filled with laughter and disbelief in ways that only God could give them this child. It wasn't by their doing. It was by God's faithfulness and his promise that he would be a father of a great nation. Even though Abraham took things into his own hands, Abraham and Sarah saw the promise of who God is and what he was doing. Even though he had doubt and ups and downs, he finally did what God had commanded him to do. And what we need to understand here, there was a total posture and a heart shift inside Abraham, even though he was doubtful, his faith was in God and his plan and his promise and in his word. So much so that God actually, there's a, a, a moment recorded in Genesis chapter 22, where he wanted to see truly was Abraham's faith in him. And Genesis chapter 22, verse two and three says, he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. As you continue to read on, you'll see that Abraham wasn't messing around anymore. He tells the young men that he brought with him, his workers, to stay back because we're doing a live sacrifice. But Isaac, you're coming with me. And Isaac in this moment, actually it's recorded that he says, dad, like we've got the wood, we've got the knife, we've got the fire starter, all this stuff, but where is the lamb? And he responds to his son saying this verse eight, God will provide for himself, the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And this is where we see things take a turn because Abraham and Isaac literally get everything together set up. And Abraham bounds Isaac to the altar and Abraham's about to sacrifice his one and only son. And this is recorded for us. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God or you have faith in God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son sent from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket of his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as the burnt sacrifice and offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide as it is said to this day on the Mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn declares the Lord because you have done this. And have surely, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. His faith was all in God and God provided. Now, see, here's the thing and the big takeaway that we need to hear is, and understand here is. Now you're probably thinking like, why'd you tell me this morbid story of a God coming to a guy and promising, Hey, you're going to be a father of a great nation. And then like, he puts his faith in him and it like kind of flip flops all over the place. And then all of a sudden he's like so faithful in God. He's about to sacrifice his one and only son. Like it's a crazy story, but we need to understand here. We can't get tripped up on the sacrifice of his one and only son because God was revealing to Abraham here that he was not like other gods. Other gods said, Hey, sacrifice your children, sacrifice family members, burnt offerings to uh, like, to get my, uh, like my love and my grace or whatever. But no, God was saying, no, no, I'm not like other gods. I'm faithful. I'll provide, put your faith in me. So please don't get hung up on the sacrifice of his one and only son, Abraham, uh, who is Isaac. But here's the takeaway that we need to truly see. See, we see a story of a man who walked in a living relationship with God. The relationship was far from untroubledness or, or doubts. Just look at Abraham's life. It was marked by loads of doubt and fear. It caused him to waver and disobey. But yet in the end, Abraham always returned to God. Didn't cancel him or cut him out of his life or push him away. No, Towards, it came to a point in his life where he, he literally didn't even waver from his one and only son about to sacrifice him. See, the pattern we see in this faith-based relationship, living in relationship with God is this, that God promises Abraham has doubts and fears and consequences, but Abraham ultimately has acts of obedience. This is what a true faith-based relationship looks like. And we need to ask the question, if Abraham is the role model of faith, where it has ups, downs, and wavers, and doubts, all of these things, can we truly redefine faith? I would say, no, we can't. It can't go on unwavering. It can't go on a uh, uh, mental belief and actually just standing firm and assurance and stability. And, uh, and like, no, it, it can't just be without doubt. There are doubts. If it was just going on no doubt, Abraham would not be our father and role model of faith our study of Abraham's life leads us back to understand that faith in its basic biblical meaning is trust expressed through personal relationship. And this trust and relationship are rooted and grounded in the promise of who God is, not emotions and feelings or serving my needs. It was God's promise which establishes Abraham's faith in the first place. And God kept coming back to his doubting son. Whenever he wavered or doubted, he reaffirmed him that the promise was still there. The power of Abraham's faith was not in Abraham's certainty or his mental belief or stability and emotions, but rather in God's promise and in his word. The grace of God came to Abraham through the promise enabled him to walk in convictions, regardless of his intellectual doubts or waverings of emotion. See friends, faith is simply the willingness to walk in obedience sustained by God's grace and his promise. What's crazy to think is the honest to cry of Abraham's doubt and true expression of a reality and walk with God. where being honest expresses the desire to actually walk, not to cancel, cut, or push away and run away from. No. And it wasn't about him just thinking positive thoughts or saying, you know what? I can just do better. No, faith is not about psyching yourselves up. It's about God lifting us up. I love how David Campbell says, faith, people of faith are not strong people. They are weak people with faith and a strong God. Wow! Now, if you're not asking the question, what does this mean when it comes to winning at life? Let me ask it for you. What does this mean? This is what it means. God is looking for faithful, obedient people to build his church. Let me explain it like this from Matthew chapter 16 as we wrap up. It's an encounter with Jesus and his disciples and he's asking them, who do they say I am the son of man? And they said to him, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or the other prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter, one of the disciples replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you Simon Jonah, from flesh and blood was not, has not revealed this to you. But my father who is in heaven, I tell you, you are Peter. This is the moment you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. These guys in this moment would have heard the word rock and understood because they were saturated in the early scriptures. See, rock was a symbol and the Marking of who God was and is. Deuteronomy, a book in the Bible talks about how he is the rock. His work is perfect. The book of Psalms talks about the Lord is my rock and my fortress. You cannot move him. But let's investigate the, the Peter and the rock moment. Let's investigate the Greek words that Matthew uses recording this. It says, thou art Petros, which means a stone. And upon this rock, which is Petra. So we have Petros as Peter, a stone. And upon this rock, Petra, a large rock, I will build my Church Context here is that Jesus actually gave Peter this name, Peter in John chapter one, where his name was Simon, but then he calls him Peter, which means a stone, which is linked and fascinating to a story and to a writing of who Peter, uh, where Peter writes in his letter to the early church says, you are living stones that are being built up as a spiritual house, a stone being built up as a spiritual house. What needs to be made clear here from Matthew chapter 16 is that Jesus is not saying, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. See, God knew that people were weak. Remember, we are weak people in, with faith in a strong God. But what truly being said here is that Jesus is saying, "Is I am the foundation. I am the rock. I am the Petra. I am the one that doesn't move. God will build his church on me. I am the truth. I am the only foundation. See, Old Testament prophets talked about this. Jesus talked about this. Peter believed this. And they knew that Jesus was the foundation of the church, which it would be built on. But the name Peter, a stone, a living stone, has a connection all the way back to Isaiah 51. This blew my mind this week when I found this. It says this, 51 verse one and two. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were honed, to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I may bless him and multiply him. See, Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 was connecting Peter, a stone, a living stone back to where faith had originally began. Father Abraham and his wife, Isaac. I love that line in look to the rock from which you were honed, cut out to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to the beginning. So this might just be me, or maybe you're picking this up, that people who are walking and practicing the way of Jesus have some DNA that is quite connected back to the forefather of faith, Abraham. And as Christ follows, we need to identify that we are living stones and realize that it's part of our heritage of who we are as apprentices to Jesus. Even though Jesus is the only true foundation of his church, he uses faithful men and women, boys and girls, parents and grandparents to build his church, to be the evidence of what his church looks like of faith. See, we don't put our faith in ourselves or the things of this world. We all have stories of where they fall short or we get hurt, right? But we put our faith on the promise, on the word of God, the relationship of God through his son, Jesus Christ, coming alive by the spirit, faithfulness, not in this world, but in a promise who is God. That's what true faithfulness means, not in the things of this world, but in who God is in his word through relationship with his son, Jesus. See, let's get really real for a second. I want to share my heart. Lots of people over the last few years have been walking away from the church, walking away from their faith in Jesus Christ, their faith in community, their faith in the church. And what deeply concerns me and a concern that we have as a church and our heart literally aches for this is that people are believing the lie that they can be faithful without community without one another see faithfulness strengthens when we listen when we challenge when we encourage one another in community the spirit develops faithfulness and in us as we are willing to surround ourselves with other faithful people when we are wavering when we are doubting when we're having a hard time in life faithful people in community literally come a, come alongside us and lift us up put our feet strong in the ground and say we've got this together See, as we grow in in faith as a community, but also individually, we will be faith-filled people who are established, who are reliable, who are, are stable. And God is desiring his church to be built on Jesus with living stones that say, my faith, yeah, it wavers sometimes. Yeah, I have doubts, but guess what? My faith is in Jesus. It's in a promise that the living God actually gave me. We will bless, we will love, we will reach, we will be faithful. See, the question we all need to ask as we leave this place is, am I a person who is developing and growing in faithfulness or am I a person who is losing faith? See, faithfulness is not on your own doing, your own strength. It's becoming alive by the Spirit. The early church knew this. They believed this. Their faith was in this. Acts chapter 16 talks about how the church was strengthened in faith before anything else. It was strengthened in faith and then grew in numbers. See, our faith is way more important than anything else right now. We need to be faithful people where we can attach ourselves to the things of God, not the things of this world. And the church is nothing more nor less than a community of people faithful to Jesus. And as we see more people grow in faithfulness, this is what's beautiful. We see a church who grows in faith and obedience and serving and giving and reaching people being led by the spirit of God. That's what's beautiful. We're seeing lives and hearts changed. God is desiring you and I to be obedient and faithful. If you need more evidence, read the book of Hebrews chapter 11. It's a list of the heroes of faith. Men and women who knew what it meant to put their faith in the foundation of the world. Who is God? See, it's not just about you and I just being individual faith goers. That's a thing, faith goers. It's not about us just hiding in our homes and saying, well, I got my faith. Hopefully I get in heaven. No, it's the connectedness of the church that we grow in faith. It expands our boundaries as God moves us out of our homes, into our neighborhoods, into other family members, into uh, sports teams, classrooms, you name it. It moves us out into other towns as we plant churches. See, faithfulness pushes us past the disordered desires. Our feelings, our emotions, and it connects us back to the the God that loves us. The God that sees our wavering, that sees our doubt, our faithfulness pushes us into a real living relationship that doesn't cut, cancel, or push God away. It strengthens, which leads us to all where we can recognize that faith is a gift from God, no one else where we are divinely persuaded to trust in God, even when it's hard and we don't understand why. We grow in faithfulness because we believe in a God who is faithful. You want to look at another perspective of faithfulness? Look at God being faithful to Abraham, always coming back to a wavering son. And God is saying, I see you. I know your doubts, but put all of your life, put everything that you have into me. Doubt with me, doubt in relationship, doubt in community and see my faithfulness because I know you, I love you, and I see you. So the question is, are you someone who is developing faithfulness or are you someone that's losing faith? I desire, I'm praying that we would be a church that comes together in community and grows in faithfulness. God bless.